Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today's episode number 69. Ha ha ha. Cue up your favorite Beavis and Butthead. Laugh for that. Um, Get it out of your system. Clean it up a little bit. Uh, But it is episode 69. That's good for all of us. Um, That means we are doing our part to have a little fun in this world. Um, But it is the last week of May 2021. And, of course, we are doing a couple things. We are, A, right now bracing for hyperinflation. So hopefully some of you have used that intel to very smartly get approvals to buy or at least place orders to buy new race car parts and accessories. I mean, our cash is getting devalued by the day, so we might as well use it to the best of our abilities. I mean, it's been said... There are no trailers behind the hearse. So um, enjoy it while we can. We cannot take it with us. uh, But uh, hopefully all of you are out there are uh, planning for, you know, what what is to come economically because I want what's best for all of you. Um, Also, uh, uh, better news is the Indy 500 is getting ready to let loose this weekend in my neck of the woods. And that's good news for everyone associated with motorsports. Uh, the they are allowing fifty percent uh, attendance now, and and so that's you know upwards of close to one hundred fifty thousand people in one uh, event, which is fantastic and getting us closer back to normal. Also in the Midwest, we've got the cicadas. You might be able to hear them. Man, I hope not, but uh, producer Chris is probably going to try to take all that stuff out, but um, it is not going to be an easy process. The cicadas in the Midwest are starting to get loud. Um, It is super annoying, and I cannot wait for them to be done in about four weeks so they can go back to hiding for the next 17 years. Uh, If you feel sympathetic to us Midwesterners right now at all, look up the Brood X Cicadas and feel our pain. Once every 17 years isn't too bad, but it is an ugly sight while they're here. So good luck to everyone in the Midwest dealing with that. Um, The good news is we are well into the racing season now. There's lots of action on the schedule for the remaining of the year. We pretty much backloaded this season with uh, the schedule for obvious reasons, but it's finally here, so there are great times ahead. Uh, and I, to that point, I am flat out excited to have two incredible guests on this week. First up, Cheyenne Stanley. He's a top sportsman standout and uh, part of the fastest neighborhood in the country. And also Dallas Brown, owner and operator of the American Hot Rod Association, will join us. Uh, So let's do this. Let's get to doing whatever it is that you do while you listen to the show. Make your commute, clean the shop, work on the old heap, but metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box 
and talk about what was released uh, late last week, the NHRA and their new video game. Uh, the NHRA and Game Mill Entertainment are teaming up for a new video game partnership. Uh, according to the release, there will be classes from Top Fuel to Superstock. I do not know if that includes Top Dragster and Top Sportsman at this time, but I'm very intrigued and almost, I would say, optimistic at this point. So I'm I think this is a very, very positive mood for our sport. Certainly, there have been other drag racing video games in the past, and there are others right now like Door Slammers, etc., that have been good. I've played those. You've probably played those. But video games are part of the lexicon, the part of, our, uh, of what we do. And if you do not have video games like this, you're getting left out. And to me, this is a very, very positive mood. Uh, but let's be honest, video games have improved so much uh, to today from what they were. And they are so awesome with the graphics, etc., that it's almost hard to blame kids right now when they want to spend so much time playing Fortnite or whatever it is that they like to play. I mean, to be fair, these things are awesome. They're and sometimes better than being outside or whatnot. Um, you know, I would have probably spent more time playing video games when I was younger if the players on the screen were as incredibly realistic like they are today instead of being squares with hats like they were when I was growing up. Uh, in either event, in today's world, kids are drawn to this. And in order to appeal to the next generation or this current generation of kids and to retain the interest throughout the winter so we don't lose interest traction uh, throughout the winter, video games are an important part of this. Um, and to be fair, this is the same video group that created the Street Outlaws video game. And I did check that out and it was uh, not nearly as fun as I thought it could have been. Um, so I'm hoping that they have potentially learned from that and are improving on that product to create something better. Uh, just like we've all done with our cars and NASCAR did with their video games. you got to start somewhere and improve upon that. So I'm very, very hopeful that that Street Outlaws game is much improved when it come out comes out as the NHRA logoed version. Um, and, you know, the... Even as an adult, I like playing these video games sometimes, not all the time, but every so often. Um, and I, I played the NASCAR Heat 4 on Xbox uh, with my boys back uh, when we first went into quarantine. And uh, there is one, one track, there's a sprint car track on that NASCAR Heat 4 that is a road course. And you drive over what looks to be a um, shut down eighth mile drag strip you know, as you go down the straightaway. So if you're listening and if you know what track I'm talking about, hit me up, let me know what track that is, and I will send you a Fast Brackets Nation t-shirt. Um, on the other hand, if you have no idea what I'm talking about with the track, with that track in particular or NASCAR Heat 4 in general, just cross your fingers that this venture um, is a game that is realistic and fun and something that captures kids and, and the young adults' attention so we continue to grow the sport. As of today, there's no release date, uh, at least that's posted, 
but I, you know, if they're working on it, they, you know, they have a tentative release date working towards, and I have my fingers crossed because I believe this is stuff that is good for the sport, and uh, I give a lot of kudos to NHRA for for pushing towards this and doing one more thing that gains attention from the younger generation. All right, let's put this thing in the beams. On with us now, he is a multi-time ADRL and PDRA top sportsman winner. He's from Cynthiana, Kentucky. He's part of the fastest neighborhood in the United States. Welcome to the show, Cheyenne Stanley. Cheyenne, how are you today? Doing great. How about you, Rex? Well, I'm good, but I um, am not uh, headed to Norwalk and getting ready to pilot that twin turbo uh, Mustang of yours, so not quite as good as you. Uh, But uh, I know you're on your way or getting packed up to do that, make that trip, Um, but before we get to that, let's... Maybe take us back a little bit and talk to us about how you got started in drag racing. Um, I was probably 16, 17 years old and <clears throat> had a little streetcar Mustang that I would go to the track, put slicks on and tear it up and then have to tow it home. And I uh, eventually just bought something that was actually a, a, a car you could race that you put on a trailer and take there. And if you tore it up, you he had something to tow at home. So I started out about an 80 Mustang and put a delay box in it and raced that for probably at my local track, probably I would say till my mid twenties, something like that. And then I got a back half Mustang started going a little bit faster. You know how we all want to go a little bit faster. And then at that time on the bracket racing game, Everybody was like, you got to have a dragster, got to have a dragster. So I think it was about 2005, I built a 235-inch small block Ford powered mullet dragster. I had Brian Forrester build it in Bradenton, Florida. Okay. I ran that, ran that for a little bit and then kept wanting to go faster and build a, a 445 cubic inch small block forward, which sounds like a big block, but I know they're way bigger than that nowadays. But, right, um, right. We raced that for a minute, and then I got to the point where I was having trouble keeping that together, and then I crossed paths with Philip Oakley, and I bought a, a 598 big block forward from him and started bracket racing the big block forward and ran it for probably till like 2009 or something like that, and then... Uh, I built a 632 that year, and then that was top dragster was already going, but I never had ran top dragster. So I got the wing, the two parachutes, and got a couple kits of nitrous, and then started to run some top dragster events. Went to a few. I think my first divisional I went to was it wasn't a divisional; it was the sports nationals I used to have at Columbus. When it was like late in the year, you know, people would come all the way from out west to catch all the points I could get to get extra. Yep. So, um, but that was my first actual top dragster race. I don't think I qualified, but that was the first one I went to. 
And then at some point you said, enough of the dragster stuff, I've got to get back into a door car. Yeah, I think it was late 2012. Um, I had been talking back and forth with Brian Gam, which was a extreme pro stock guy that um, had run a lot of ADRL stuff, and he uh, had had this car for sale, but he was still running it. I think he ran it maybe two more races once I made a deal with him, and then I think I got it. At this exact same race I told you I went to with the top dragster, I took it there with everything out of the top dragster, my bruisey power glide, put it all over in there and had a dry shaft made, headers made. I think the the first or second pass, maybe I went like 370s with it. They're not 370s, excuse me, 670s with it in the quarter, like 202, 203. And uh, I was hooked at that point on. There's a there's a little something different in there from uh, being in the door car to the dragster. No, that's difference in daylight and dark for sure. I mean, it's you're in a different confined area. You're you can't I mean, you can't see behind you in a dragster either. But you also I don't know. It's just it's different, and especially when you got a a car that you ask everything out of it to do, and it does what it does. You know whatever change you make or whatever adjustment you make that, you know, that helps a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's interesting. So, um, you and, and I've kind of, uh, fallen into a groove here that I never would have guessed I would have done on the fast brackets podcast. And that is have two Mustang drivers in a row last week, obviously Ronnie Proctor. And then this week yourself driving X, uh, you know, uh, extreme pro stock Mustangs. Um, that, that's really interesting, um, from even me. And I just caught that. Um, but, uh, tell us a little bit about that car and what you've done, uh, to it since getting it and, and really embracing the door car side of this thing. <clears throat> so I've stuck with the nitrous till about, I think it was the end of 2016. Uh, we, we qualified for every PDRA race, but those at that point i mean it took four o's four teams you know that was before they you know not think anybody ever seen there being all three second field at at that time you know back then it's amazing and at at that point it you know to get in the field i was just right on the ragged edge of hurting it so i ran i ran that deal to the end of which and it was fast for what it was a 632 with cast C heads with steel block um, to go four O's. I mean, it was as fast and Philip mm-hmm. Oakley was on the phone with me at all times, trying to get it tweaked, get it here, there and between him and Marco helping me with the converters. And, um, and um, I had a nitrous guy that passed away that helped me a lot with that. I forgot to tell you about him. He's Monty Smith. He helped me with the uh, sure. fuel tables on the ESI and, I mean, he was a really, really sharp individual when it came to nitrous. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I ran that deal, like I said, to the end of 16. Then I came out 17 with a turbo combination and fought with it that I'd purchased from someone else that Philip did not do. Um, and I fought with it for 
probably a year and to the point I was just like, man, this is for the birds. So I gave up on my Ford and I went to a, called Brad Anderson and ordered a Brad Hemi and my son and Andy Johnson and I put it together in my garage and it has not been out of the frame rails of that car since the start of 19. We put rods and pistons in it and switched the heads and valves and lifters in it but the block has not been out of the frame rails since it's been in there. Yeah, those those Hemis are fairly sturdy, huh? And you don't have to do as much messing with them, at least you hope, as, as some of the stock uh, setup stuff. I mean, you obviously are happy with that, right? So where everything, you know, it is a billet head, a billet block, and it's, it's all billet, mm-hmm. but we still do maintenance. I mean, we put rods in every 30 runs. That's, that's the program that I've gone with. I mean, they say you can take them longer, but I just use it as extra insurance just to go on and, you know, spend the money and get those out of there. And we check the wrist pins and make sure they're not bent. And, um, that's the program. And I think I've put, uh, almost on that block right there. I think I'm just now pushing almost, 90 runs right now so my programs like i said I put rods and tires on every 30 runs so okay okay um yeah and um and with the course of the twin turbos um you you feel like you've got that dialed in right now right the the turbos have been a uh positive addition to your program yes yeah once once i figured out how to get them to school and um I mean, you're basically using free air. I mean, with the Pro Charger deal, you've got to have something that actually takes power out of the motor to turn it. With a turbo, you're just using wasted exhaust to spin it and mm-hmm. shoot it back in there. I mean, as long as you can control it, I mean, it's it's pretty efficient. I mean, there's some things that go along with it. I mean, the oil changes only last between the methanol and, you know, your oil five, six runs. If it's cool outside, if it's, if it's hotter outside, the oil will last a little bit longer, but whenever you, when it's cooler, you just make a lot of condensation and, you know, it's a little more than what you would do, you know, on sure. your nitrous stuff, you probably get a couple weekends out of it. And you're, I might change a little twice in a weekend if I do good. I uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, the other unique thing about your car, um, and I, I couldn't quite figure this out, so you'll have to help me out here. Um, you've got a rear view mirror on your car and a side mirror on your car. And I know that that doesn't get used much because you're not getting chased very often. I mean, you are um, always one of the fastest qualifiers. So what's with what's with the rear view mirror on that thing? <clears throat> So in the original purchase of the car, I think we maybe went out twice between my mom and my son helping me with the car. And basically what it is, it's two opinions. So my mom or my son will stand in the spot of the groove and I will back up to them as they're talking to me on the radio, which puts it in perspective where I can see both sides. I can see how the left and the right backing up and I can Uh tell... I'm pointed straight and then that way as I 
go forward, you know, they're not telling me right, left, right, left. You know, I'm already there when I back up to them because these cars are real critical about loading the chassis once you start forward. You know, you don't want to try to make an abrupt turn two or three feet from the beams and upset the car as it takes off, you know. Right. But that's that's what the mirrors are for. It's I'm I'm not looking at anybody beside me. I'm just looking at my my son or my mother when I back up. That's what I use them for. So well, that's that, something I yeah that that makes a lot more sense than what I was uh, trying to figure out. Was because uh, uh, you you aren't the slow car very very often. So that that makes sense. a lot of sense. And uh, and thank you for clarifying for me. Um, you also mentioned, and I think. Uh, that your your mom and your son are there with you. Who all goes to you with the track um, at this time? Because I know you got a lot of cars in the stable and a lot of action going. So I have uh, my son Gavin Stanley. He runs Top Dragster, and he's my crew guy. He helps me maintain this thing between rounds, get it turned over, back up there. And then I have my ten year old son Wyatt Stanley. He he runs Top Junior Dragster, and then three people three drivers we we get them all to the lanes we maintenance them and we race all three of them every time we go so that keeps you hustling that's who goes oh yeah you don't sit down the whole day you just, <laughs> as soon as you start it's i mean i like the way that the pdra has it broke up now to where you got the two qualifiers on friday and then you've got this big break if you were to tear up something or have a problem but it also gives you a little bit of time to watch and kind of rest. And then you got another shot Saturday morning and then you go right into racing. And then when you do make the elite field, you get to run with the pros. So that puts a big distance between time between rounds. But before when you ran, you know, if they needed time for the pros, you were run back to back to back. Now that you got, you got time between rounds by you're running right after the pros every time. Yeah. No, they they do a nice job with with a lot of things that the PDRA does. I mean, right? They uh, they do a lot of w- that way, and especially if you've got three cars, um, you need all the time you can for sure. Um, and you are going to Norwalk this weekend, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're okay. going to try to leave late late Thursday night and roll up there. And <clears throat> the beautiful thing they got, they got a like a yearly, an annual tech deal that you can do at the first race or you can do it at the next race they'll give you a card and you can fill out everything on your seat belts and everything and they'll put a sticker on your car and that'll pretty much get you through the season to where you can basically just write your name on your tech card and hand it to them and you don't have to go through the tech line again which makes my life easier for sure showing up late thursday and not having to get up first thing friday morning running to go wait to tech and have five five minutes before you qualify you know it kind of just makes the day a little easier to start yeah no no doubt and and those cars i mean for the most part um getting the same the same group anyway so that i think that makes sense from the association standpoint and from the racer standpoint oh for sure for sure and um, then after Norwalk, then what's your schedule you going to continue to chase the pdra um, elite top sportsman group I would say so, just as long as, you know, there ain't, like, bad weather or something coming. You know, I I don't like driving, sitting in the rain or something like that right there. But, yeah, I'll probably hit them and maybe hit a couple divisionals around here local 
you know, that are within a couple hours because Norwalk will probably be five and a half hours, but everything else PDRA will be seven, eight, nine hours, 10, yeah. 11, just depending on where it's at. I mean, but yeah, I will. It kind of gives, like I said, it gives it to where all three of us can race on the same stage, you know, fast cars, junior, and, you know, you just, you, you, you can't get that at NHRA. You can't run a junior the same. I think they might have a couple events you can, but not every event where, and then the, the caliber of cars that you have there too. I mean, it's, there's something to watch for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, the PDRA is is put together something very special, and I would expect that this this weekend too is gonna have just a uh, a record number of top sportsman cars, and that that area just always draws. And um, yeah, it, it should be a fantastic event, and um, I think it'll be a, a highlight of the year for the PDRA for sure. But uh, well, we we wish the you the other thing that go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Well, the other thing, the way that their their setup is with their scheduling is, for someone that like me that owns my own business, I can roll out on Thursday night late, get there Friday, race Friday, or qualify Friday, race Saturday, and then be on my way home Sunday morning, and not feel like I don't know what on come Monday where you get that travel day on Sunday, which is fantastic, and you know what I'm getting at. It just it just for makes sure. it to where Mondays aren't. Mondays. Mondays are so hard, especially in your own business, just trying to get everything in order from where you've been going. Yeah. Well, what type of business do you have, Cheyenne? What uh, what type of industry are you in? Uh, we're in the paving and excavating and equine. We do equine horse barns and buildings. Um, my wife, my father-in-law and I, and we pretty much a start a horse barn for either thoroughbreds or hunter jumpers, which are, it's a different entity of horse riding here in Kentucky. Um, but that's, that's what we try to do is try to provide a turnkey deal where we can come in and excavate it, grade it. My wife and my father-in-law build the structure and then I can put the finishing touches on as it's done. But we make a pretty good team. My father-in-law, my, my wife and I, so. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'll, I'll just say this. I've spent a little bit of time in Kentucky. Um, and for our listeners that are outside of Kentucky that have never been around some of these horse farms, if you think you spend a lot of money on your racing program, whew, uh, you should take a peek at what some of these dudes spend on their horse racing program. It is enormous and uh, um, it's uh, it's it's amazing really how much money people put in their their horse farm so um i think we spend a lot of money on our races or you know our racing programs but it is nothing uh compared to some you know what some people do no. uh, out there for their hobbies for sure. it's amazing for sure uh yeah you see it you see it firsthand cheyenne so hey um i'll let you go i know you got to get stuff done and get on the road we certainly wish you well and appreciate you coming on the on the show um and uh go get them this weekend huh Hey, I appreciate it. Good talking to you, Rex. Yeah, great talking to you. Guys, girls, that was the great Cheyenne Stanley, if you need him. All right, let's get to the half-track report. Brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. As it always is, 
For your high horsepower legal needs, get to DragRaceLawyer.com. Uh, let's start with the NHRA national event in Houston that happened over the weekend. They got some rain. They had to cut back the field. They did allow top sportsmen and top dragster, which I was very happy to see. But that did take in, until uh, an extra day to get that thing done. So um, your number one qualifier in a 16-car field on the top sportsman side was Darian Bosch. He goes 636 at 226 miles an hour. And Darian takes that number one pole position all the way to the final. And he gets a win over David Quadra. You probably know David's brothers who both run in pro stock. They had a kind of a neat run early this year at the World Door Slammer Nationals in Orlando where both brothers were in the final in the pro stock event against each other. And so you had kind of this weird thing that you didn't see a brothers against each other in the final, both running Mustangs. So that was a unique setup there. But you probably, So you probably know David from that. Um, but David gives Darian a nice run. But Darian is just too tough on the tree and uses that advantage to win his third national event win in the double breakout final. So congrats to Darian Bosch for just keeping it rolling. My man is on fire either you know in either car the top sportsman or the top dragster car he's just too too tough um on the top dragster side then there were 23 cars that lined up dana ward goes 611 with a two at 225 miles an hour for the top spot but afton swanson gets after it does not get the top spot ety but hits the 230 mile per hour mark nicely done afton um and on her her run down there 230 miles an hour at 610 plus is getting it done but your winner ross larise over will carroll you heard ross on the show a couple weeks ago um, and ross in the final was just too good he had a starting line advantage and then leads will through like the four-time national event champion that he is so congrats Darian Bosch and Ross the Reese, the New Orleans folks, just killing it um, at the national events in Houston. Um, then there was a Division II event, uh, NHRA II, Division II event in Commerce, Georgia. A little light on the cars there, I would say, but uh, for good reason. There were 14 cars in top sportsmen. Your number one qualifier was Derek Brown. He goes a cruising 631.3 at 209 miles an hour for the top spot. But your winner is Doug Gerber over Jack Jackie Bennett. Bennett with the starting line advantage, but uh, looks like some mechanical troubles down the way. Gives Doug Gerber his third Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series Wally this season. So Gerber is not going to let Darian Bosch and Alan Firestone just run away with a national championship without earning it. That's his third Wally this season. Nicely done, Doug. Um, on the top dragster side, there were 17 cars. Your number one qualifier was Wayne Brooks, hitting that 610 with a four mark at 229 miles an hour. Uh, and your winner is Anthony Bertozzi over Brad Plord in the final. What a tough final that was. AB is 004 on the tree and leads Brad Plord through 
when uh, Brad cuts AB loose at the stripe. Um, but that's another nice win for AB to continue what has just been a string of outstanding performances. Um, next week, we're going to bring you action from uh, the Division One event, uh, the NHRA host in Maple Grove, and then the PDRA heads to Norwalk, where we would anticipate the largest fields of the season. We This potentially could be over Memorial Day weekend in Norwalk, Ohio, the PDRA, what we would expect will be the largest fields uh, of the season, and it looks like if the weather holds off, it's going to be cool. It's going to be fast. You know the facility is going to be right. Uh, man, that event looks to be amazing. So we'll bring you all that action next week. Oh, as we get out of the groove today, we've got on with us now from Las Casas, Tennessee, he is the owner and operator of the American Hot Rod Association. Welcome to the show, Dallas Brown. Dallas, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, you are now in charge and running what is really a historic association. Um, tell us a little bit about the American Hot Rod Association. I mean, it's founded in 1955 it, it, Don Garlitz was once the president of this place I mean it's got a lot of history yeah and, and that was kind of the idea like uh, had some familiarity with the uh, racers that you know have a an understanding of what the association was all about was the members yeah I mean, um, we, we try to take it back to the grassroots <laughs> so yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. This association has been a, around a long time, I and mean, we're talking sixty-six years at this point. Is that right? Um, sixty-six. Yep. I'm trying to do my math there, um, and you know, I think I was reading that you had over eighty thousand members at one time. So this is a a really an association that was important to the sport as a whole, um, and and really you know, was, was good for all of us for a long time. But how did you get involved? Maybe take us back a little bit. Um, well, it kind of started, uh, I was in the Navy 23 years. So um, I got stationed in uh, Oahu, uh, Hawaii. And um, the local track there was an, an NHRA track. And they were having a, a land dispute between the uh, the landowner and the leasee of the track. And... Um, it's kind of different when you're, you know, if your track closes down and you're in the continental U.S., you can just tow to the next track. <laughs> but when you're on an island, um, you know, it, it, there is no other options. So, you know, I shot an email to the NHRA, and um, they didn't seem to care to step in to try to fix the disagreement. And uh, it looked like the writing was on the wall that this track was going to close. And from that point forward... I realized that there had to be something that was more engaged with um, the racers and the track operators themselves. So I started chasing the AHRA name to set it all up. And, um, you know, in reality, in 2008, when that started, I was two weeks behind the guy that got it before me. So um, he ended up with a name and then ran the association for a while. And it didn't really go you know, too many places. They, they screwed up a bunch of stuff uh, with having bad leadership in place and stuff. And 
once they had uh, more or less just kind of petered out, uh, they gave me a call and see if I wanted to buy it, and I jumped all over it. Yeah, and and it sounds like you got that situation solved in Hawaii, right? Because they are running races in Hawaii today under the American Hot Rod Association banner? Well, they they are on the big island of Hawaii. Um, The track that I was uh, referring to was on Oahu, which is is gone now. Okay. Um, It's now condos. But uh, I I kind of, you know, I have a very um, uh, large place in my heart, I guess, for... um, the tracks in Hawaii, because you're you're literally trapped on an island. If that track closes, you have no other options. Um, so that was one of the first things I did was work with the track in Hawaii uh, to get them a sanction so they could run, the Big Island Auto Club could run under the AHRA banner. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that uh, that's really interesting. Um, how how has that expanded then? So obviously you're you're living in Tennessee now. You're not uh, you're not still on the island. Um, how, talk talk about the uh, the expansion of the the association in general. How many tracks do you have, and where you know how does far does that span? Well, we we technically have four. Um, Hawaii at this point is kind of they're not running as uh, you know because of the coronavirus. They haven't ran this year at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shut down last year in March. So um, we we technically have four, but who knows what's going to happen now to this whole fallout from this past season. Um, right now the expansion has been fairly uh, normal, I guess, uh, in regards to I didn't have a pattern to begin with, so I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> um, but we, we do about one track a year. We gain about one track a year. Um, and it's kind of slow going, but uh, I think people are starting to get the gist of it. And, you know, you get more and more interested phone calls every day. Uh, in regards to where we started at, um, where it would be, I had to chase the tracks, and you, you almost had to twist our arms uh, to get them to do something um, because they're used to uh, the the same old hat that's already been out there for a while. And we try to do things from a different perspective and with a different spin on the entire, um, I guess it'd be sportsman drag racing program. All right, talk to us a, bit, a little bit about that then. What What's different? What's the different spin that you have well we when we first started we decided that you had to focus specifically on sportsmen professional level is that's kind of already ironed out and it is what it is um but the sportsman program for years uh racers have been kind of uh i guess felt disconnected from the associations and so what we felt was that we needed to focus specifically on the three facets of sportsman drag racing which is uh, heads-up classes, index classes, and bracket program. And um, those are primarily what you're going to get as a sportsman. Anyone can do any one of those. Um, so what we did was we tried to put a different spin on all of it. Everyone, you normally pay association membership dues, but the money generally doesn't go back into the association. You don't ever see it again. You don't see where the money goes. So what we did was we took uh, association membership money and we put it back out for payouts on top of um, the track payouts so whenever there's a performance-based payout event we offer up more money on top of the track payouts for you to win a performance-based payout event okay and um, well, the way that works is this if you're a, a box class racer and 
you win with your box car, uh, your box class car that has a box in it, you'll you'll get maybe say three five hundred bucks. It depends what the membership pool money is at that point. How many members you have, and how many racers there are, or and how many races there are, and that money goes back on top of the track payout. So you know you, you might collect three to five hundred bucks to win in your box class car. But if you're a foot brake racer in the box class, uh, you you did more work to earn that because you had to defeat all the box class cars with that we're primarily running boxes and so um we pay more money so instead of it being let's say you know that three to five hundred which would be like four hundred in the middle you'd win double so it'd be eight hundred dollars on top of track payout now if you did it with us with a stick shift um the stick shift there's all the odds are against you you got so many things to overcome uh to try to run consistent in a in a bracket program or an index program um, you know, gear changes in between each individual gear and rolling the clutch and the whole nine yards. And that payout is $2,000 uh, on top of track payout. Okay. So so somebody running with a five-speed in Super Pro without a box would would get paid more that would give like a nice little kicker to whatever the else the track was paying is what you're saying right from the from the association correct yeah so just being a member you would get collect you would collect two thousand dollars on top of track payout so if track payout was say uh two thousand or twenty five hundred you know you if it was just two thousand you'd walk away with four grand and two of two grand of it would be from the ahra and two grand of it would be from the track that's going to pay the the regular payout anyway sure um the, the other thing we did was we tried to recognize the perfect runs um, because most of the time right now it's just like you have a perfect run. That's that's a milestone in a racer's career. And when you just pick up your time slip, about the only thing that's going to happen is you pick up the time slip and the person at the ET shack is going to say, hey, good job, you just had a perfect run, and that's about it. You know, you're going to feel good about it. But um, what we do is we try to focus on that and say this guy or gal has met you know, a milestone in their career, we, we pay them 200 bucks to do that. Um, plus, we give them a certificate that commemorates the day and the time and the place, and uh, that's something that you could hang on the wall. Now, if you do it in the finals, um, because the finals is what everybody wants to see generally, um, we do $400 on top, or, so 400 bucks more for that perfect run in the finals. Okay, interesting. And are you, this idea that someone would almost intentionally make it tougher for themselves by running let's say super pro without a delay box or you know running a five speed in in classes that are dominated now by power glides um, right uh, or automatics in general um are you finding that that has attracted some interest uh it does for the real heavy hitters um some people are just unwilling to take the box out and run without a box um you know the the way you look at it is a uh, box really doesn't make a great racer any better. It, it just refines their program. Um, somebody that's just an average racer with a box, it makes them a little better, you know. And then somebody who's not that good becomes just about an average racer. Um, but when you have a foot brake racer that's great, it doesn't matter if you've got a box or not. Um, they're willing to, to go out there and put it on the line because of the extra payout money. So... It does happen quite often. We have quite a few racers at, at Jefferson Motorsports Park that actually run 
all the classes, uh, trying to win that extra payout money. So the, the neat thing is when you, as you, you have your announcer announce that, okay, this racer, if you know your racers, you say this racer's racing for $2,000 on top of track payout, you know, and the other racer is only racing for 300 bucks, which gets the crowd into it because they know um, that there's so much more on the line for one racer than the other. So you find that, that the crowd then has a rooting interest in it and they're a little more excited, a little drawn into it more? Right. When they know that there's more money on it for somebody else. Like, you know, the American mantra is to root for the underdog, right? And when you know that the underdog is out there and you know who it is, you're more willing to root for that underdog. Gotcha. Um, so it helps out. You know, in multiple facets, I guess you would look at because bracket racing is not bracket um, is not very crowd friendly. It's not spectator friendly, uh, especially if you're not familiar with how bracket racing really works. You just showed up; it's your first time at the race. But when you know when the announcer says this guy's racing for two thousand dollars on top of track payout, so a total of four thousand bucks, and the other person's racing for you know, twenty three hundred, they understand that. Yeah, yeah, right. The, that's right. The dollars translate right to everybody, right. and and that makes sense. And and I think that's good. I think that's good for our sport to have uh, a little more interaction from the fan side. Even you know, and obviously bracket racing is a little tougher to do it, but more interaction we have from the fans, the better off we all are. Um, so that that's really interesting um, and unique, and and I think good for the sport ultimately. Well, thank you. I, we worked long and hard to try to put this program together, and I had uh, 11 deployments uh, in the Navy to really come up with a program that I felt was outside the box, but yet more in line with the sport. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, so what's the what's the future look like um, for the American Hot Rod Association? What uh, what's next? What's on tap? What do you, what are some of the goals that you have for the class, or for the association? Well, um, you know, we, we jumped in with uh, with both feet for brackets, index, and heads-up classes. And what we're trying to do is expand heads-up classes uh, that w- encapsulate just about everyone, the majority of the cars that you see at the at the track. Um, we This year, well, actually starting last year, um, we came up with a class called Econocomp. And it's kind of like the old Procomp class from the days, uh, except for it's focused specifically on uh, altered uh, dragsters, front and rear engine, uh, funny cars, and then um, roadsters, and then they can be side or center steer. Mm. And the thing was, is like, okay, we want to keep it economically friendly, economically friendly, I guess. And so you focus on it, it has a carburetor or injection, it runs alcohol or gasoline, and it's a weight to cubic inch class. And um, that way, you know, there is quite a few dragsters, altered, all that stuff. Not so many funny cars, but, um, you know, it'll, it it should grow. <laughs> sure. Um, considering the number of bodies and chassis out there these days. Yeah. Um, but uh, we definitely want to expand on that. Um, the biggest problem we've had is, the, again, the same thing that all the sanctioning bodies have run into, where these past two years has been really difficult um, in regards to sponsors and participation. Um, because of the amount of dollars or, uh, you know, just what's going on with the world for, uh, you know, uh, disease and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but we want to expand on that into um, 
what I was going to call top comp, um, where we would bring uh, supercharged cars back in or power adder cars in that same kind of econocomp uh, format. The the whole idea is that our classes are you'd have an entry level tier, which would be your econocomp class, and then you could expand on that by just adding a supercharger or a nitrous to your existing combination and then step up to the next class. You don't have to buy a whole new car. You don't have to build a whole new car. You use what you already have. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, if um, if our listeners are interested in doing uh, something along those lines, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and, and learn more about the association and see, see where they fit in? Well, um, we do a lot of things on Facebook, but we, we have a website. It's uh, Um You can there's a link on there. You can just click on it, shoot me an email. Um, if you just want to email me directly, it's Dallas at ahraonline.com, um, or you can visit our Facebook page. And uh, we're uh, I mean we actually have two. So one is your one is just your basic Facebook page for um, the association. Then you have one that's um, a group. So you can go on, join the group for free and then post stuff or uh, ask questions. or And generally, other racers on there will be able to answer it or I myself will answer it. Um, but it, it's fairly easy to get in contact with us. Or you can give us a call if you like the old school phone. Um, the number here is 615-580-3137. And um, we'll try to answer whatever questions you may have. Uh, that's awesome. That is really good stuff, uh, Dallas. Appreciate you coming on. Wish you well uh, the rest of the season, and um, you know, look forward to our paths crossing again here soon. Uh, guys, girls, that was Dallas Brown, owner and operator of the American Hot Rod Association. Thank you very much for having me on, Rex. As we hit the mile per hour cone, this last weekend was a di- little different event. It was the Great American Bracket Race, the Dream Team Challenge. And this was a little bit unique because it was a team event. Uh, the Dream Team Challenge was at Holly Springs, Mississippi, put on by the Great American Bracket Race crew. And what they did was they put five-person teams in both box and no box. And I absolutely love this. Uh, It is the one thing that I miss about my basketball playing days is the team atmosphere. And this kind of brings this back. I don't know if they were parked together. I guess I'm assuming they were. Um, We, you know, we kind of do this on occasion. You know, we have team cars, we have buddies that, but, but specifically when it comes to earning points as a team, we just don't do this very often, or uh, you know, it, we do with the Jegs All Stars. This it's very similar to that, where the divisions compete to accumulate points for their division, which ultimately crowns a champion, and that is very cool. We know for a fact that anybody that's been involved with that comes away truly amazed and and really has uh, enjoyed that whole process. Um, but the difference with this race, outside of it being a bracket race as opposed to you know, the classes that the Jegs All-Stars does there for, is that you can actually pick your teammates. Your teammates aren't just whatever division you race out of. So that's pretty good stuff. You can go and, and pick your team a lot like LeBron does now. 
you know, LeBron likes to pick his team. So if he can do it, that's good enough for, for us as well. Uh, but this is another example of the creativity that we have with our sport that, frankly, other sports just don't have the ability to do. In other sports, uh, this type of change would end up with, uh, you know, that thing that used to be on ABC when they would bring all the superstars out for those dumb mutated sports. Um, I remember there was this thing, Slam Ball. That's a, was a pretty good example of something that started out as basketball and ended up was a mutated form of basketball that just broke a bunch of ankles and wrists of those people competing. Uh, this does not do that. It keeps the integrity of the race, but allows uh, that teamwork and camaraderie that it just is sometimes uh, missing a little bit from our sport, which you know is uh, something that's good. It's it's good for all of us. So in either event. Congrats to the Great American Bracket Race team and all the supporters and sponsors for pulling off another great event and adding an exciting twist to the sport that we all love. Uh, let me know if you think that is something we should see more of. It's interesting to me. Uh, I really dig that team concept, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Get at me um, at the Fast Brackets podcast uh, email um, whenever you get a chance. All right, let's bring this thing back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's do it. Let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is episode 69. Ha, 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 ha. And it's time to pull the chutes, baby. Let's pull them. There it is. There's the wind light in the sweet, sweet sound of Gloria. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. That is so nice. Guys, girls, we had another great week this week. Uh, first of all, we talked video games. We got down with the latest race results. And we had two great guests on. First of all, Cheyenne Stanley. He is a top sportsman standout out of Kentucky. He was fantastic. Uh, Dallas Brown of the American Hot Rod Association came on and talked about all that is going on with that group really cool stuff um, but if you have comments questions or curse words for me you know there are three ways to get at me first of all you can hit me up on the facebook page using messenger you can come into my backyard where i will be trying to kill all the cicadas and you can use my email fastbrackets at outlook.com Guys, girls, I hope you enjoyed it. Please keep the rubber side down and travel safe.
Thanks. Well, I'm glad that number 69 is in the books. Learned a lot about uh, the new video games, and uh, I'm pretty excited to maybe go see that uh, event in Norwalk, the PDRA. That should be pretty pretty stout event. Listen, I can't wait for that thing to happen this week. I mean, we're, we're legitimately talking about what could be the greatest attended top sportsman, top dragster event of the year. And the weather, if it holds off, is going to be cold or cooler. And that means the cars are going to be fast. It's going to be awesome.